felt like at times this weekend, especially kind of some of those first games, you thought, oh, this is going to be a boring first weekend of football. And then it all changed with Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars and a fantastic comeback that kicked off a crazy weekend of just really weird games. I'm Tom Corbett. He's Sterling Pingree. This is the new sports order. The first weekend is any indication. I still think it's a complete crapshoot who we're going to see in the conference championships and in the Super Bowl. Maybe more so in the NFC. Oh, 100%. And that's because it's sponsored by the NFC East. And if the NFC East has taught us anything in the last 25 years, is to expect the unexpected. I mean, the Giants could come out of here for all we know right now. And through that weekend, based off quality of opponent, everything, I mean, you could you could make a hell of a case that I mean you you could make a, a good case for several teams that they had the best weekend of anybody. Giants, Giants had a great weekend. Watching Cowboys the Giants, had a great weekend. Watching the Giants game, it gave off it gave off some Eli Manning vibes. Those teams. A lot of people had that. A lot, lot of people say, and, and you know what? Game ball for the the player that I was most singularly impressed with this weekend is Daniel Jones, and, and maybe it's Saquon too. Saquon was unbelievable, but Daniel Jones, man, just it, it's like Brian Dable has created his own like build a bear Josh Allen, and he just took took this other quarterback and other people who what was it that uh, ownership of the Giants said you know it's a disservice the. Uh, you know, something about the disservice we've done to Daniel Jones and the way we've messed this kid up for the first, you know, four years of his career. And I was like, okay, that's good Bad that they're taking accountability. Bad but on. at the same time, like, okay, I think this is probably what Daniel Jones is. And then <laughs> we thought that's what it was. Brian Dable saw what he could be. And boys, he turned him into something because the Giants look great against Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, NFC's wide open. Tom, remember how great last year the divisional round was? I mean, it was the greatest divisional weekend we can yeah. remember. I think every every game was great. You had the Kansas City Buffalo game. It was just like memorable game after memorable game after memorable game. I mean, like like that's where the bar is. We don't even have to come close to reaching last year for this to be another great weekend because last year wild card round was fun. This year, you're right. We're waiting for snoozers. I was ready to take a nap, but Seattle kind of hung around, kept that one interesting. Man, and boy. What the Jags got it kicked off, but we, we knew the Chargers were the Chargers. And we had no idea how close we were to a potential AFC championship match between the Chiefs and the Bills with Travis Kelsey versus Rob Gronkowski. Apparently, we were extremely close. As uh, Gronk was on the New Heights podcast with Travis and... Jason Kelsey, and said he had had talks in the offseason with Buffalo, but he just wasn't quite motivated enough, but said had he returned, almost certainly he would have been with the Buffalo Bills. So it's funny. Gronk actually did some media this week. He did that pod. He did uh, Tom Brady's uh, Let's Go pod on Monday before the game. Um, And on that one, he really downplayed playing again. but interesting, I listened to Rich Eisen yesterday uh, and had Rick Stroud on, um, who is an NFL beat writer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he said that at Thanksgiving, Gronk was calling the Bucs and said, I want to come back and I'll play this year. And he said, okay, well, you know, we'll bring you back on the practice squad. And Gronk was like, I'm not playing on the practice squad. I will bring you to the main roster. And then I think the uh, the momentum in his own mind passed before he was like, eh, I'm probably good, I guess, but said he was bored and, and thinking about it. So it, funny how we heard really nothing all season about Gronk, and now suddenly this week there's all kind of rumor swirling that he was more interested in playing this season than maybe he let on. You think it's him trying to build up for maybe a return next year? I think it's possible. I, I think I wonder how much of it has to do with what Brady does and what he decides. You know, if if God, you know, Gronk in it, Vegas. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thought, right? Is that Brady goes to Vegas, Gronk decides he's going to go there. Yeah, play opposite Waller so he can, you know, sit and be a red zone target and play, you know, 20 snaps a game, do some blocking. You know, Waller can play a lot of the snaps, kind of spells Waller. I mean, he gets back with Josh McDaniels. He's there with Tom, Sin City. Yeah, that's not bad. They got some good receivers on the outside. That could be a fun year. Just like that other time when he was with that really good tight end who ended up being a murderer. That's true. That's true. Those are some pretty good years, but until it wasn't. Minus the murders. Yeah, the murders were bad. All right, so we're going to look at this weekend's games uh, more so than last weekend's as it's Thursday, hopefully, when you're listening to this, or at least the day it comes out. And there is a good amount to look forward to. And, you know, you mentioned the NFC East. Why not start right there? And, hey, also remember, if Ron Rivera knew that they were going to get eliminated from postseason if they lost and they weren't still safe, maybe we'd have all four still in the playoffs. Uh, But we do have Giants-Eagles, and I, as a Cowboys fan, cannot wait to watch these two Hopefully beat up on each other. There's been a you lot. You want to kill each other. There's, I've noticed a lot of, let's just say, very confident Eagles fans. Oh, they're out. They're out and about. And I think this is going to be a very good game. You had the extra week off, which, you know, Depending on who you talk to or what numbers you want to look at, you could support the extra week being good, the extra week being bad, with as little momentum as Philadelphia had. One could argue that might not have been a good gap. Or one could say, hey, they got the extra week to separate themselves from kind of the bad juju of the last month of the season. But you're coming in with not really having played well in, like we said, about a month, and the Giants coming in more confident than they've been since Eli Manning. You wonder, you know, the the discussion is always rest versus rust at this time of the season, and I I really can't think of a number one seed that has kind of backed their way into the postseason like this Philadelphia team has, but it's due to injury. So you would think, naturally, that having the week off, they get right, they get healthy. Some of the injuries they have, I... I don't think a week's rest is going to help. I mean, Lane Johnson's playing with a torn abductor that it requires surgery. I think the moment they're eliminated from the postseason, they'll just, you know, break out the tools and do the surgery in the end zone. Uh, we don't know how badly injured Jalen Hurts is. And that's that's what it all revolves around. If he's not able to run with the ball like he is, if he's not able, able to throw downfield to A.J. Brown like he did when they were really rolling for the first three months of the season – the Giants are not a good matchup for that. You know, that's a front that's going to get after the quarterback. If they contain him, I, I think they could muddy the water up with, with this Eagles team enough. Like you said, you want these two teams to beat each other up. But they're designed to do that because they both have fronts that are going to get after you. So it's all the health of that offensive line, I think, for the Eagles. And can they protect a, a potentially wounded Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I mean... We saw witness, you know, to life with backup quarterbacks in the first round. Good, bad, indifferent. You know, what I texted you this, and we mentioned it, I think, going into the week. What Miami would have given in that game to have Brock Purdy at quarterback against Buffalo? Because... Buffalo was not sharp. And Buffalo was not sharp. Miami really had to go out of their way to not steal that game. I mean, it kind of came down to they had the ball with, what, two and a half, three minutes? And if they don't unbelievably botch that fourth, I mean, if third and one, fourth and one, turns into fourth and six, and they can't pick it up at midfield, I mean, they had the opportunity to take the lead in that game game down the stretch or at least tie it with a field goal uh, because they were only down 34-31. 
Yeah, you know, Buffalo has this this thing where they kind of play down to their competition, which is not something you want out of a, a favorite. Uh, their other issue is, and I say they're I compared it to a boxer. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who's a big Bills fan. We were talking over the weekend. It's like, what do you see as kind of being objective? What do you see this team doing, and and why why is it like this? Why are we in this situation? I think they were tied. And I said the Bills are like a boxer who just keep throwing knockout blows. They just keep throwing roundhouses at you where they're a great jabber, great counterpuncher, and they could have done that. They could have jabbed and counterpunched with the Dolphins all day. Uh, James Cook was running the ball effectively, you know, design runs with Josh Allen, dump off, stuff over the middle. They could have picked up 10 yards, you know, in, in two plays. They wouldn't even have got to third down the way they were able to move the ball. But they would get to midfield, and it was a 50-yard bomb. And then, you know, a ball got tipped. You know, they had the interception downfield. The receiver falls down. You draw a penalty, and suddenly you're, you're sitting at second and 20 because of a hold because Allen needs the extra second to, to throw the ball downfield. That game never should have been closed. They should have been able to methodically work up to a 30-point lead. They started at, what, 17 nothing. There's no reason they couldn't have built that up to 30 and then ended up coasting. But then they had to continuously go for the knockout blow. They started just wasting drives. And because of the turnovers and, and opportune turnovers for Miami, the scoop and score and um, you know, just some some uncharacteristic mistakes. But you know, I say uncharacteristic, they're kind of too characteristic for Buffalo is that Allen gets a little sloppy with the ball sometimes. When he does take a sack, he's always trying to do one little extra thing. And, you know, he's holding the ball to his chest with one hand and then he's trying to roll over and, and cradle it with the other hand. He transitions it like he he comes closer to fumbling on almost every sack than any great quarterback I've seen uh, in a while. So it's almost like, do they get bored or are they just always looking for that highlight? They love the 50 yard bomb and they hit them a lot. They hit them against the Patriots. I, I don't know. And they're going to have to buckle down. And maybe they were, I, I think when we said it last week, I wrote it in my preview column uh, last Friday. Maybe they were looking ahead a little bit. Because you're you're playing a third string quarterback in the Miami Dolphins, a team that you just beat recently, and you're going against Skylar Thompson, who I think the only person in that stadium that thought that he was going to beat the Buffalo Bills was Brad Thompson, who drove 15 hours from Missouri to Buffalo. I think he's the only one that thought that Skylar was going to pull off that upset. So, was anything to bounce back against uh, against Buffalo? I think to me, this is the game I'm looking forward to most this weekend is is the Bengals and Bills. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be interesting. I mean, I think Joe Burrow has shown that he's about as cool a customer as you're going to get. But, you know, Cincinnati, much like Buffalo, I think could have, should have put that one away against Baltimore a lot earlier. And as J.K. Dobbins was not shy to tell you, if they'd given him the ball – maybe Baltimore wins that game or if Lamar Jackson's in that game, Baltimore wins that game. I enjoy that Dobbins did not hold back. He's like, what are we doing here? Why is Huntley going for a QB sneak against the line reach, trying to reach over the line when Huntley was having a good game or not? Huntley, he was, yeah. he, he was Dobbins. great. I mean, Dobbins was getting yards and I could see much like a Marshawn Lynch, obviously on a much smaller scale than final play of the Super Bowl, pretty much, but very similar. Put the hand, he wants the ball on the goal line in that situation. But it worked out for Cincinnati. They get the return. And I think both teams are coming in knowing, like, who dodged a bullet there. And now it's, let's see who can right the ship and kind of put together the best overall game. God, I just, Joe Burrow is becoming one of those guys where he's like, it's hard to bet against Joe Burrow because he seems to always find a way. Well, so looking at that Baltimore game, I mean, that, that is the recipe to beat any team that's, you know, definitively or you know, more than arguably better than you is hold the ball long drives. And that's what they did. And I, I was, I was very impressed with the way Huntley played. They were they were running the ball almost at will against 
the the Bengals. And yeah, I mean, I was surprised they weren't using Dobbins more. But at the same time, I didn't notice as much that they weren't because they were continuously moving the ball, moving the chains, and milking the clock down. So it might be, I was like, okay, you know, it's splitting hairs of how they're doing it, but they are. And Huntley was a big part of that. Tom, you know, it's a copycat league, and we saw Trevor Lawrence go for two the night before. Now, granted, it was from the one after Joey Bosa's fourth penalty of the fourth quarter. Um, his double helmet spike. So Trevor Lawrence, who's, I don't know, what, 6'6", six, 6'4", six, six, I mean, you know, tall, long, just reaches the ball in the end zone on a two-point conversion. I feel like that's what Huntley was trying to do, but he was like two yards out. And he also, he went, two-handed. More, he went more vertical mm-hmm. rather than vertical and horizontal. He just kind of jumped straight up and reached out. And the, the incredible thing is they always say, you know, like, take care of the ball. And, and Huntley does it with two hands and gets knocked out. Trevor Lawrence just literally dangles it over the defensive line, you know, like they're a bunch of kindergartners. He's like, no, you can't have this. Oh, it's scored. You know, you can't even bat it away. But uh, so I kind of wondered that as, as I saw that play. I was like, okay, is that what people are going to do now? Rather than diving over the top or, you know, you know, sneaking it between, you know, the guard and the center, is this the new, okay, I'm just going to hold it up over the line and, you know, kind of take an easy touchdown that way. But uh, that that was a play I'm always going to remember. It, just the way it gets knocked out right into Sam Hubbard's hands and he takes it 98 yards. I mean, that that was, to me, that was the moment of the weekend. I mean, the, the whole comeback in the Charger game was great, but the, the Sam Hubbard return, you know, being the Ohio guy and uh, kind of homegrown, he's only played football in the state of Ohio his whole life. Uh, it was a great moment. It was a good game. Like Baltimore played way above their capability. That was the game, I mean, honestly – for the nightcap of that day, which had been a, a good day of football, I really wasn't looking forward to that Bengals-Ravens game, but it was yeah, way, way more entertaining than I thought it, it should be. But, uh, you know, luckily we now get the Bengals-Bills game that unfortunately was was canceled because of the uh, DeMar Hamlin injury. But, you know, it, it's it's a cosmic thing, right, that, like, we're we're back. Like, right. It's not in Cincinnati. It's going to be in Buffalo. But, like, these two teams what if are they destined ju- to play each other. What if they just – this playoff round started – Whatever, six minutes into the first quarter with Cincinnati <laughs> up seven to nothing. Seven nothing and uh yeah, Bengals have the ball at midfield. Yeah, yeah, that would be uh I don't want to revisit the arguments in my fantasy football league, but uh yeah, yeah it, it, it's these are teams we're, we're we're destined to play. And and you know, bold prediction. I think we're gonna see Damar Hamlin out there at Orchard Park this weekend. Apparently he's been around the team a lot and uh I think this is the moment that uh perhaps he's He's out there for the coin toss or, or something, but I would imagine that uh, New Era Ralph Wilson Orchard Park Ridge Stadium is going to be uh, it's going to be rocking on Sunday, Sunday yeah. at three. I've heard he's been in the facilities almost every day, doing whatever rehabbing, helping the guys, whatever it may be. Such uh, great news! And, and, and as soon as I saw that, like, oh, he's there! Like every day, I'm like, he might play again. I hope he plays again. Yeah, not this season. I'm sure, but no, but you know what? But if he's out there on Saturday, on Sunday, that's a freaking win. Talk, talk about a boost. I mean, you go back two weeks and in that moment, leaving in an ambulance, he said, Hey, he'll be on the field and whatever, two, three weeks. Yeah. Supporting, not playing, but supporting. You freaking take that in a second. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, this will be this will be a moment. This will be something you know we we remember, especially with these two teams playing. And I, I think, you know, like we said, you know, something cosmic's happening. But I, there is something when teams like this get together where you look at you go, okay, this has got to be something. Like this will be the, the chance of this being a ho hum like thirty to twenty game either way that it doesn't really produce any you know moments or uh, an unexpected outcome. I think we're we're I think we're on tap for a big one. And on the other side of the AFC, I don't know how much time we want to spend on it. I think this one, probably the best chance of being the most lopsided game of the weekend. Chiefs-Jags, you know, I thought Jags-Chargers, I said it last week, would could be the most entertaining game of the weekend. And it was definitely ended up right up there. Did not think that, you know, about halfway through. Uh, but the Jags get a win which I think is great for so many of those young players. And I hate to use it 
and I hate that everyone uses it, but the quote unquote, the culture for Jacksonville to, okay, won a playoff game. Trevor Lawrence wins a playoff game. He saves himself from an off season of just ridicule after kind of that first half and four interceptions in the first half. And I texted you and I'm like, this is, we're just about to Jake DeLome territory. Jake DeLome is somewhere kind of like, uh, was it Orlovsky was when they had the quarterback run out of the back of the end zone. He's like, I'm free. Jake DeLome was thinking that, but man, you have to tip your cap. They came back. I think, that's where the benefit of a guy like Doug Peterson, a grown-up in the room running the show, probably really paid off. And I think he showed a lot. He came back four touchdowns after the four interceptions, brings them all the way back. They win the game. I think Jacksonville is completely house money right now and probably so much energy and, you know, feelings and everything went into that comeback that I find it very possible that this could be, you know, one of those 34, 14 games where you say, oh, well, they got to the second round, which is a unbelievable, if you told Jacksonville they'd be in the second round after last season and the debacle that was Urban Meyer and everything else, They'd be ecstatic, and I think they should still be ecstatic, even if, you know, Kansas City puts it on them a little bit this weekend. You know what I'm thinking of? Uh, first off, we'll we'll start with, with this past weekend, and, you know, credit to Doug Peterson for, I mean, four interceptions in the first quarter. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that probably pulled Trevor Lawrence there. I mean, four and a quarter. Not in the first half, not in the first, you know, not four picks all night, four in the first quarter. Now, you go back through all of them, you know, how many would you say were, okay, that's just a bad throw. That's completely on him. I mean, what, two of them were tipped. One was a diving play. Um, you know, so he wasn't just like firing it at linebackers he didn't see or anything like that. Uh, someone else made the comparison that he almost went full Peterman, which, you know, Nathan Peterman famously threw five picks in the first half. Uh, so I think that was also a comparison someone threw out there. But I think DeLome was more uh, apropos because it was the playoffs. Um, was that Carolina? Who did you do against the – let's look that one yeah. up. Um, Rams? I can't remember. I'll look uh, it up we'll, while you talk. Um, but looking at this weekend, you know what I could see, you know, as – yeah, on paper, this isn't the, the sexiest matchup, but remember when Kansas City uh, had their first Super Bowl run, Super Bowl 54 in, in 2019? You know, they got behind, was it Houston in the divisional round? And Houston was up 21 nothing and 24-7, to and it was all over them. You know, Hopkins caught a long touchdown. I think it was like a block punt or a return and uh, just really just jumped all over Kansas City. And I was like, all right, you know, this isn't going to happen. And of course, Kansas City made up for it and – Think tied the game by halftime. Um, then the following week, again, Kansas City got jumped on by the Tennessee Titans in the AFC Championship game, and of course they came back, took a lead, and, and never looked back. I, I could see it being that sort of game where maybe there's a long Travis Etienne run, you know, Lawrence throws a touchdown, something something weird happens, and the Jags get a lead. I think Kansas City ultimately puts them away, but I, I think that's more the pattern I'm expecting because you're right. The Jags are riding high. They're full of confidence and they're playing with house money. I mean, could we see fake punts? Could we see onside kicks? You know, a lot of surprise stuff and arounds. I think uh, Doug Peterson's like, you know what? We can empty the playbook today because if we lose this game, we're in the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars are in the divisional round. They've had the number one pick the last two seasons and they're in the divisional round as division champions. Doug Peterson, do what he wants. Yeah, that is to say the very least. <laughs> uh, uh, it was Arizona Cardinals in 2009. That's what I was thinking, yeah. That was Kurt, yeah, it was Kurt Warner. Five interceptions, one fumble. Oh, I forgot the fumble on top of it. That's just... After he had been, he was a perfect 8-0 and at home 
the entire season. Ugh. Uh, that I believe. What we're on our final matchup. Niners Cowboys. Both teams probably feeling pretty good. They had probably the two most secure victories from the weekend. Brock Purdy, man. The guy seems bulletproof, at least in the ego sense. Like, he doesn't seem phased at anything. He seems completely composed. Had a couple, like, oh, questionable throws, plays, or whatever. Bounce right back. Now, part of that, I think, was the comp. I thought that game was closer than what it ended up. And San Francisco just opened it up. Right. I mean that, that that was that was a close game. I mean Seattle kept counter punching that whole second quarter, and yeah, really made it made it more of a game than we thought. Though I mean the second half wasn't came down you know, to another fumble. It did another game that turned on the fumble when they were driving down trying to take the lead, and then it just kind of all went away from there. Cowboys, for the most part, dismantled. The Tampa Bay Bucks, but I will be the first to say, I can, I can't. I would be a hypocrite if I said, "Oh, look at this big convincing win against the Bucks." When I've been saying for like two months, like, "Oh, I think the Bucks are garbage. That whole division is garbage." But it's the first time, and I don't remember how long where I left saying, "Ooh, that's the Dak." that everybody talked about that you remember from those first couple seasons. Let me ask you this, Tom. He ran was harder that, than I'd seen in probably at least two years. Was that Dak's best game? I think it was, especially being yeah. in the playoffs. I'd say absolutely. I mean, I think just in a vacuum performance-wise, and you said, yeah, he was running the ball, which – you know, he hasn't done a lot of it. And, and, you know, maybe you kind of save health-wise for, for the postseason. But, yeah, I haven't seen Dak play that well, I think, ever. And that was the most telling was, yeah, the Bucks weren't good. They're not good. But week one, that defense absolutely confounded Prescott. And he looked horrible. Then he gets injured. Um, you know, that that was really kind of the, the lowest point of him. I mean, really, in his tenure in Dallas. I mean, people were saying, look, he was terrible. Now he's hurt. Cooper Rush plays well. I mean, they were buried. I mean, the, the, the quarterback controversy that we sort of drummed up in the beginning of the year, I'm not saying how real it was, but there were people taking it for real. There were people that were considering and, and second guessing it. So for him to go out, that's the first Dallas road playoff win in 30 years. Yep. That kind of Ironically, against San Francisco. Yeah. Probably what? Uh, NFC title game? It was 92. So. I think so. Yeah, because they went, what, like, yeah, three years in a row? Something like that. Um, also, just shows you how tough it is to win on the road in the postseason. I mean, there was a, a Patriot stretch. Uh, they won in 2006. They beat the Chargers in the divisional round, the Marlon McCree game. And then they didn't win another road playoff game until 2018 when they won at Kansas City in the AFC Championship. And there were people saying, well, yeah, as great as the Patriots are, they can't win on the road. It's like, well, they haven't played that many road playoff games in right. that 12-year period. Let's just say that. They had home field, thankfully, uh, a lot. But it does. It is hard to win road playoff games. So it's a big moment for the Cowboys. It's a big moment for Dak. I mean, you, you could kind of see, especially uh, the whole Jerry Jones box, I think it was celebrating a little more uh, vim and vigor than than normal. This is a good matchup. I mean, they're both playing well. Um, again, who doesn't love Cowboys and, and 49ers? Just seeing those two uniforms out there. Uh, you know, you can wax nostalgic about that for forever. So, um, and this all... could be the game of the weekend. I mean, I, I think they're. You can make an argument that right now they're the two hottest teams in in the NFC. The eh, Giants might be weaseling in there if you Maybe. think about the Washington game. But you know, I definitely think this will be the best team, and probably easily the best defense that Brock Purdy has had to go against in his whatever it's been a seven game run since Garoppolo went out. He's what seven and zero as the starter. But you look at look at those teams 
and nothing's really jumping out and there's no real big-time defense. Now, I think a lot, I've heard hopefully good things for Curse, who got hurt. If he's out, I think that secondary is is in trouble for the Cowboys. I mean, it's beat up as it is. They've lost a lot of guys from the secondary. But, God, Micah Parsons was... I don't know if anybody, and you would be able to speak on it better, but I don't know if anybody's really hounded Tom Brady that much in a game. He had just unreal numbers, pressures, tackles. He, he did it all. And going against a Seattle defense with nobody of real note who's going to come after the quarterback and Micah Parsons coming off the edge is going to be a whole different world. It's different. The, the, I think the biggest difference, uh, and speaking to your first point um, about Micah Parsons and Tom Brady, I mean, yeah, he, he put a lot of pressure. I mean, it wasn't quite to like, you know, Vaughn Miller in the AFC title game. Yeah. You know, it was with the Broncos. He had a uh, wicked spin move on one. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Vaughn, Vaughn Miller just, I mean, every time he ever played the Patriots has, has been after Brady. Um, Demarcus Ware on some of those Denver teams to those Wade Phillips defenses. Uh, before that, you know, Dwight Freeney, there's always a few. Jason Taylor, Cameron Wake was was a guy who was just always after Tom Brady. But, um, yeah, they pressured him. And, and Brady is at a point right now where he's not taking sacks. He's getting rid of the football uh, as quickly as he can with that patchwork offensive line. Yeah, they had Ryan Jensen back. But, I mean, that's a line that's been in flux all season. Brady's got to get rid of the football. He's got to get rid of it quick. I and mean, we saw him underhanding balls. He tried to run out of the pocket. Um, he's not taking sacks. So, like you said, the name of the game was pressure. It's not that you're going to get home. It's that you're going to force him to get rid of it. And we saw, I mean, how many balls did he throw at, you know, running back's ankles because the play was blown up? Or did he just, you know, fling to get rid of to Godwin over the middle? So, that's the pressure they're going to have to bring to Brock Purdy. The biggest difference is that. Tampa Bay can't run the football, and San Francisco, that's their bread and butter. So Christian McCaffrey having a productive day and, you know, the vaunted, you know, Shanahan system that Kyle runs out there, if they can run the ball in Dallas and not allow Michael Parsons and, and Van Der Esch and, and Dexter Lawrence, all those guys to just, uh, you know, pin their ears back, then all the better for – for Brock Purdy, because it makes it so much easier when they have to, you know, stay home and see what you're doing. You start running play action, and then you get George Kittle into it, and Ayuk, and and, and Debo. So it, it's it's different from that standpoint, but it's also going to be really different for Denver's defense that so they're not going to be able to just pin their ears back and, and go whole hog after the quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, McCaffrey had a great game this weekend. Debo had a great game, and you know. Those fast, shifty, that's not necessarily the Dallas defense strong suit. You know, Diggs is a ball hawk that can be a bit undisciplined, I think is fair to say. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, say. So that if you're undisciplined with Debo, he's going to hurt you. Well, and, and, and the guy that's really been, to me, really impressive because Debo, I think his greatest contributions come in some of the gadget stuff and, you know, reverses and swings and quick. But, you know, yeah, but you know, Brandon Ayuk has been outstanding as kind of a, a downfield guy. And I think he's one that it'll be interesting to see who they put digs on because it might make more sense to put him on Ayuk than it does on Debo. But then, you know, kind of how do you, you scheme against that? So that'll be a, a good indicator of, of what that sort of looks like. But before we, we move on from this one, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, he, he's one that I'm big on availability. You know, the, the, the top ability is availability. And going into the season, two guys, and think about kind of a, a fancy football world, is I'm not going to invest in a running back like Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley at the top of the draft just because they're never healthy. And this was really the renaissance for both of those guys. Saquon looked outstanding. Man, Christian McCaffrey, he's hit a new gear and he's been healthy. And that San Francisco offense is just absolutely made for him. He's played outstanding in it and has, has really been been fun to watch. To see a guy who we know can play at a certain level, have the opportunity and the good health and good fortune to do it, 
Um, he he's the one that you know Debo might beat you with home runs, but McCaffrey might be the guy that hit four doubles and three RBIs and just absolutely you know you can't get the guy out in a big spot. So um, he'll he'll be the big one to watch. And on the uh, the flip side, you know, CD Lamb continues to play well. And how about Dalton Schultz? I always I flip flopped all year. I'm like God. And part of it is I think with Dak was out and Schultz dealt with a few different injuries throughout the season this year. I'm like, ah, is he the tight end that we can count on? You know, for years to come. And it looked like it this past weekend, that's for sure. And Dak loves him, and he's built that chemistry, which is good. And, hey, another little shout-out, T.Y. Hilton. Brought him in sure. right at the end of the year, and he's mm-hmm. been good for you know two catches a game, two first downs. One of the plays might be a big one. He has been a fantastic add-on as you know that fourth receiver, fifth receiver, sometimes third receiver. He's been a nice little add-on for end of the year. It's amazing to look at that we're in the postseason and guys who are playing meaningful snaps for teams with Super Bowl aspirations are T.Y. Hilton and Cole Beasley, guys who weren't on rosters at Thanksgiving. And they signed in December. And now they're playing meaningful snaps as, I mean, we saw, I mean, Cole Beasley, now granted for the wrong reason, he had the ball kind of bang off his shoulder pad for an interception. and uh, But, you know, he had a big catch later. Can't got a touchdown. He had, he had to do the goal line. Yeah, had the touchdown too. So, uh, and yeah, T.Y. Hilton is, is kind of fitting into that role that's been vacated by Amari Cooper that at different times, like Gallup's been there and, and various guys have, you know, sort of been there. But Dak needs that sort of backup number two. And yeah, the, you're right, the tight end position, Boy, you know, Dalton Schultz has been great. The Ferguson kid's pretty good. I mean, they got four guys, and maybe it's because they were all shared that kettle on Thanksgiving, but they all kind of look alike. I mean, you know, Schultz catches the ball. I'm like, wait, is that him? Is that Ferguson? Is that the other two guys? Who, who I think they might have released like Schultz and Ferguson. I'm trying to remember. I think they might have released one of the four, but. Oh, that's too bad. It's probably the one who got whacked with the with the football. Probably. And I guess... That was a great celebration. I'm not a doubt. Dallas guy, but and and when Zeke jumps in the the kettle, I mean, I wish to close the lid on him. But that one was pretty good. The the four, you know, the tight ends jumping in the kettle and then bopping the whack a mole was that's good stuff. Now the question will only be: Do we go for two this weekend? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Four extra points. I mean, you were texting me right away, and I'm like, I I, I can't make heads or tails of this. They signed uh, was it Tristan Viscaino to the yeah. practice squad, former Patriot, uh, Ma, former Patriot, former Cardinal. I think also this year he Tristan Viscaino is the kicker that teams bring in to try to get your regular kicker to, to light a fire under him. It's like when you bring in a punter on on a week to we're just going to work him out, just see, see what this guy's got, and uh, you know. So hopefully your your starting punter does better, but. You know, if anyone has a bad weekend this weekend, it's it's Brett Maher who has to go to just the fact he has to play on the road. I mean, that is just going to be whenever he takes the field. That granted, San Francisco not known for its rabid fan base. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I don't know about you, but like if I'm playing whatever soccer and I've given up a few goals and I feel like I'm in a funk, like. Or basketball, and I can't hit a shot. I liked going on the road. I enjoyed it. It let me get my focus better because I'm not worried about embarrassing myself in front of, in front of <laughs> well, the that's fans. Tr- that, that's true. It might be tougher to play in front of the home fans if you're just missing. Because if they point. start but, to boo. Well, and I think it's fair, too, that is the thought going to be there? We saw Dak on the sideline, you know, go for two. Is that thought going to be in Mike McCarthy's head now a little bit? Now, I, I was shocked after he missed the first one that they didn't go for two because we see most teams do that. You try to – you go for two, you get back to 14 points maybe. You know, if he gets it, if you don't, you're still up 12. You know, not not a huge, huge difference between 12 and 13 points. Um, and he just never did it. <laughs> and I get it once the moment's kind of passed the first time. But, yeah, that doesn't creep in. And he, he eventually makes the fifth one, but – um, after he, didn't cost he had them, trotted but, uh, out for 
I think it was a f- fourth down. He started to trot out, and they pulled him back. After they pulled him back. The fourth one. And you could tell just, oh, I felt so bad. He had such a sad puppy dog look. It's like, at least I could say I made a field goal. Like, yeah, I missed all these extra That's points, what, but I made a field goal. And I texted goal. you that. I'm like, I think, like, get him to, like, a 40-yarder. Yeah. Get him something, a different look. I mean, he led the NFL in 50-yard field goals, I think, this year. Hits bombs. Let's get him something a little. I don't care if it's second down. Let him kick, let him kick a 45-yarder. So I thought, you know, as we, we talk about, you know, storyline, narrative, and, and you know, the the cosmic reaches of football I said, okay, this is what it's going to be is that the Cowboys are going to score four touchdowns and have 24 points. Brady's going to score three touchdowns, get three two point conversions, and they're going to be tied at 24. I said, you know, something we've never seen before. And it's going to be that Dallas scored more, more touchdowns and that Brady equaled them with less. And then it ends up like winning in overtime and something weird happened. Like that's what I thought we were gonna see. Uh if somehow Tampa was able to, you know, make a, a wild comeback. That's that was gonna be the result. That was gonna be the storyline. Yeah. It's I can't relate to, to many things on a football field, but I have drilled that field goal in the rain, in my underwear, barefoot while setting up a production for I was going to say I was just going to say was are you talking about the one in like 07 when yep. we were setting up for a, a TV broadcast and yes I, I I conveniently blocked out the fact that you're in your underwear for it but I remember the kick it was part of the bet I believe but it was part of the bet and I nearly it, knocked someone off because I was not thinking as they were setting up a high camera they were on the scaffolding behind the net <laughs> But and the, sh- and by the way, the, the, the net behind the goalpost at uh, the John Lincoln Complex on the campus of Huston University in Bangor, Maine, uh, the catch net out there is for baseball. It goes the entire length of the left field fence. It is not for football. Uh, so it only kind of goes up to maybe the top of the goalpost. It is not uh, sufficient. It is not like the uh, you're in good hands with all state college football net. Uh, and yes, you almost knock someone off of uh Three pieces of scaffolding. But that scaffolding your was underwear, dead in the center rain. of those posts. And I drilled it. Well, yeah, you, you got to get the shot. <laughs> you know, you, it's all about the camera angle. And uh, they were there. God, I wish wish there was film with that. I don't think they had the camera set up, just the scaffolding. If only could, we could have had that. Yeah, we weren't recording at that point <laughs> of the day. Uh, and it was before everyone had a everyone had a camera phone, so there was no camera videos of this. So, and that guy was the lead producer. One day later, <laughs> yeah, and I was standing next to you, and I was the yeah, I was doing color on that color play by. I don't remember. I think it was color on that broadcast as we're watching. Jared the, Richmond, yeah, head head producer. Yeah. Ah, uh, good times. Man, good stuff. This is going to be a good weekend. Is it the best one? Is the divisional round kind of the best playoff weekend? I mean, Super Wild Card is great. I love the two Saturday, three Sunday, and then you know with the Martin Luther King holiday, having that Monday nighter, but a three day weekend of just football. I mean, I just I did nothing this past weekend. Like everything that I had to do, I was like, I'm doing it before four o'clock on Saturday, or it's not getting done till Monday, and. and that was kind of what uh, what I was looking at, but I don't know, man. Divisional round, four games, and you know, you kind of you, you separate the hay from the shaft a little bit. You get rid of some of the ah, they were a seven seed and they snuck. It's in like and, uh, you know the NCAA tournament. You know, yeah, the first round is incredibly exciting, but it doesn't really get good till the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, love the Sweet Sixteen because you start looking at it, and go, oh, ooh, these teams, you know. Yeah, ones are playing eights or fours. Yeah, it's I love that sweet. Plus the elite eight. The elite eight is very underrated in the NCAA tournament. But uh, the divisional round. I mean, it's it's four games. It's two days. I, I love that. You can kind of sink into e- each game, and it's I mean, what the first game is four thirty on Saturday. So do whatever you need to do. Hunker down all evening with two games, and then you got two more on Sunday. It's uh. It's great stuff. We got good matchups, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens. 
It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And the Cowboys, hopefully, gonna have a good, <laughs> gonna have a good day. It's gonna be a good day. Yeah. They're the they're the final one. They're the last game on Sunday, correct? Yeah. Again. Uh, <laughs> once again, just saying. San Francisco gets an extra two days of rest. Just saying. Not to be, and not only that, they're not traveling. You've already gone from Dallas to Tampa, back to Dallas, and now you're going to San Francisco. Good thing you're somewhat centrally located between the two. But uh, yeah, you're right. Two days rest that could uh, certainly play into it. And plus, they ain't going anywhere. They're staying right in San Francisco. So, um, yeah, I, I think the travel has to play into it. Because think about it: if the Giants were to somehow beat the Eagles, the Niners wouldn't go anywhere in the postseason. The Giants would go from New York to Minnesota. Back home to Philly, back home, San Francisco. I mean, that is that's a lot of back and forth. Well, at least what New York to Philly is like what an hour and oh, a half yeah, flight it's next door. I mean, it's, an hour. It's, it should probably take a bus. Sometimes those buses you get the nice ones. Sure, I'd rather do that for two hours than go through the rigmarole. I would assume of a plane for an hour flight. Yeah, Philly to the metal. I mean, Philly to New Jersey. I mean, they almost border. They border each other. So, uh, what it is for the Meadowlands, they might actually take buses for that. But make sure you are checking out Sterling's columns. They go up on the Facebook page, New Sports Order, and stuff like that will continue after the football season. And we're gonna once the Super Bowl's done, we're gonna sit down, kind of regroup and figure out what we're going to do next. We hinted at it, maybe. Maybe get into some XFL. NFL draft will be coming. And uh, what were we chatting about before we hit play? Uh, or before we hit record today? I don't remember, but it was... Oh, uh, we were basketball about, shoes. Uh, yeah, yeah, favorite Most basketball popular shoes. basketball shoes. Uh, all things are on the table. And if you have a suggestion, you can send us a message on the Facebook page. Or you can email uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Check out our other podcasts, the Uncommon Deeds podcast, as that continues to roll. New England stock car racing, talking history, talking stories with drivers that lived it, as well as the No Fouls podcast, where I'm talking to basketball coaches, players, with a connection to Vermont. Big one coming up next week as I sat down with really the dean of Vermont basketball, Tom Brennan, the coach. And it was fantastic. You know, I know you probably have, I have, where you're super excited to interview someone and you have a picture in your mind on how it's going to go and how it's going to be and how fun it's going to be, and it just doesn't live up to it for whatever the reason may be. But TB over-delivered, great stories. He invited me over to his house. He's like, check out my prized possessions. He's got a picture on his wall, and he's supposed to send me a picture of it because I forgot to before I left, of him playing at University of Georgia. He was a bulldog. Mm-hmm. Side-by-side guarding Pistol Pete Maravich at LSU. Holy cow. That's cool. That's an SEC matchup. Just super cool. But, yeah, he had some great stories. Asked him. I also love that you're already calling him TB. Like, I feel like he's in your phone as TB already. He's not. But it only took us. It was about. (laughs) I sat with him for about an hour and a half. And within a half hour, he was calling me Tommy. Let me tell you, Tommy. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're, you're yeah because you're Tommy as get out. I mean like th- there are certain guys that that just radiate that, and you, you you sit down with you, you become Tommy real fast. Apparently, that's a compliment. Take yeah. that. But no, great stories. You know, asking the heart, and I asked him questions, some fun questions like, so how long did it go after they beat Syracuse in the big win? Which he quickly points out, almost won a second one because that game with Michigan State. It's true. In the round of 32 was very close. Like, it was. 
How long before you had to buy a drink or food in Burlington? And he laughs. He said, you can't ask me that. It was a while. It was a long time. I was he's like, say, believe he's it still, or not. He's, he, he still doesn't. No, he said, believe it or not, it does run out eventually. <laughs> New owners, mm. younger people. Yeah, that's true. But then you just kind of point to the picture on the wall of Coppenrath and Sorrentine, who, I mean, though, granted me, most of my friends, weirdly enough, in college in Bangor, Maine, were from Vermont. So uh, I had to hear about that all season. Even, it, so here's what I remember from that. We went when the Catamounts played the Maine Black Bears at Orono. We went to the game. And because it was the last regular season game of the year and Vermont had locked up uh, the conference that already won America East, Coppenrath didn't play. play. The, main, the, the main black – I remember seeing there in sweat. Sorrentine played like the beginning of the game for some reason, and uh, the main black bears beat, beat that team <laughs> uh, up at the Alphonse. So that's what uh, I always remember after he- hearing you and Dustin. I mean, I, I was getting daily updates about that Vermont team, and black bears took care of business. <laughs> I don't particularly remember the final score. I don't remember if it's true. I do remember going. I do it's ten remember. or fifteen point. It was like a yeah. It was like a Sunday, eleven a.m., twelve o'clock. It was it was a weird early game, and yeah, I remember seeing Vermont there and yeah. had my Vermont basketball jersey on. Yeah, or what was not a jam packed crowd. It was not. It was not dozens in attendance. Uh, but no, please. Uh, Check out the No Fouls podcast, not only next week. Uh, good one up this week with Patrick Rainville, the coach of the, the St. Johnsbury Hilltoppers, who spent a year under Steve Clifford with his first stint in the Charlotte Hornets and learned some stuff, and that was shortly after college. Some good stories there. Uh, Steve Clifford, fun fact, an alumnus of the University of Maine at Farmington. Yeah, which is the the school I grew up uh, right near. So, yeah, born in Maine, I believe, mm-hmm. then went to school mm-hmm. in Vermont at North Country Union High School, and then back to college in Maine. Yeah, U Maine Farmington Beavers. Uh, Steve Clifford's dad. Uh, I met him a couple of years ago. He uh, somewhat retired. Uh, teaches driver's ed still. Has no need to still teaches. You know, take takes kids out driving. Um, yeah, a friend of a friend who owns a driving school is like, oh, I want to introduce you to this guy. I said, oh, you know, nice to meet you. He goes, uh, yeah, his son, Steve Clifford. I'm like, oh. And I think at the time right. he – yeah, I can't remember if he was coaching Orlando with that. I can't remember, but he was – yeah, he was the head coach of the league at that point. I'm like, oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. What else are you going to do? Yeah. Sit around the house? I'll risk my life with teenage drivers. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, so please check out those podcasts, share them. Obviously, like, share, do all those things to this podcast. And we will be back next week getting ready for the championships of the AFC and the NFC. It's going to be fun. Pearl, enjoy your weekend of football, and we'll talk next week. You as well. We'll be in touch, Tommy. This has been a production of Uncommon Media.